Good morning. Welcome to Battleground this morning. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the first five verses of this second chapter in our expositional study through the, bur- the book of uh, Corinth. And as you, as you find your place, uh, let, me, let me just throw up a couple things. One is you should have this, deacon nominations. The brothers on the back are currently serving, so they're not eligible. Just fill that out anytime, um, either now or at our uh, short meeting right after this, and drop that in the plate for me. Uh, the other thing I just wanted to make you aware of, and you probably already have been, is we've tightened up our security in kids' ministry, and, and that is intentional. Uh, you know as well as me if, that anywhere children gather, security and safety is paramount, and so it is here at our church, and so we have tightened that up even more to make sure, and so we appreciate your patience and your gratefulness to those that are working our kids to make sure they are secure, they're safe, and that they're growing in Christ. And uh, so just wanted to make you aware of that. And uh, so now let's get to our word, and, and thank you for the praise team as they have demonstrated the message already. Um, the content of our worship service is important. And so we want to see this this morning as Paul is teaching the church and he has a word for us. Let us stand to our feet. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 to 5. This is Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom... For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is God's Word. Let us pray. Lord, we just come and open up our Bibles today, and yet, Lord, we do not come without burdens on our backs and things on our mind and responsibilities even still in our hands and in our minds, and Lord, so we need you this morning to focus us in on Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Thank you for the privilege of gathering together this morning. And Lord, give us wisdom now. Your wisdom, not worldly wisdom, but your wisdom to understand how to not live in fear, to live in power and love and a sound mind as we proclaim the gospel to those that we live around, those that we love. Lord, put our one person in our minds today and dare not let them leave Put your Christ in our put your cross in our minds today, and dare not let it leave. In Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. So I had one illustration run through my head all week as I prepared the message. Um, I can't remember exactly how old I was. Probably eleven to thirteen. And you know, I'm got a little snow on the roof, so I've been around. To, I think it might have been probably Chuck Norris or somebody. You know, I always like to demonstrate those guys when I'm. Well, supposed to have been raking. And there was, but there, you know, when you put a young guy with a big long stick in his hand, you never know what might happen. And uh, so I'm supposed to be raking, but my dad had got this new rake. It was, a, it was an aluminum rake. The tube was aluminum. I'm, 
By the way, I was a machinist for 30 years. I'm a mechanically minded guy. Some of my illustrations might be mechanical. I really like this rake because it was mechanical. It had those little tines that you rake with, but you could loosen a little screw and it would, it would pull up into the rake just straight. I just, whoop, whoop, whoop. I just loved that thing. So I was using this brand new rake that my dad had got, and I don't know, probably doing Chuck Norris thing or something. I ended up breaking it completely right in half. And my buddy was with me, and I went into a full-fledged panic because daddy's got his brand new rake, and I just broke it. And so I took it into the shop, my dad's shop building. I got the hacksaw. I hacked off about an inch where it broke. And then I found a piece of steel, and I put a piece of steel inside the tube. I put it together again. I took it over to the drill press. I was holding it together. I told my buddy, I said, let's drill a couple of holes in here. I'll put a couple of screws in it. He won't even know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah. You can imagine this couple 11, 12-year-olds with a drill press and a drill, and I have my hand right there. The guy drilled a hole completely through my finger. I was so afraid. I was so panicked because I broke the rake. I, I pulled it off the drill. I said, just drill a hole in the pipe. And so I fixed it up and everything. And You know, the sad part is when dad got home, he didn't even care. Messed up my whole day. Brothers and sisters, when we come to this idea of who is our one and even ourselves, we can think much like this rake. Cannot fix ourselves. We cannot fix our one. And if you bear that burden, you will not ever open your mouth or you will live in the shame and guilt of your yesterday, not living in the power of the cross. We can't fix it. We didn't break it when it comes to the lives of other people. We cannot fix them with our own wisdom, with our own ingenuity. And if we can, it's going to be like that rake. You know, it's going to be obvious that I, I, I fixed that myself there. It's not what we're trying to do in the lives of other people. The church of Corinth was a divided congregation. They was divided, remember, because of their leaders. They're divided for many reasons. This was the first one, remember? Some people says, I like Apollos. He speaks better. I like Peter. He's more, he got the Jews in mind. Others says, I, I, like, I like Paul. He cares about Greeks. He cares about us Gentiles. They were divided. So turn with me. Let's get our minds back on the text. The chapter 1, verse 18. Let's remember where Paul is. He's dealing with this division. In verses 18 through the end of the chapter, he's already talking about Christ crucified. Just look with me in, in verse 18. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. So to deal with this division, he goes to the gospel and he goes to the wisdom of God. Look at verse 23. Chapter 1 says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. The Corinthians have become distracted by the divisions within the church. And so what Paul is doing in it's unfortunate sometimes we have chapter divisions. You know, they actually have Bibles now that remove the verses and the chapter divisions so you could read the Bible like a story. And that's sometimes very helpful because there's no real division between chapters 1 and chapters 2. He's making an argument to try to help the Corinthians understand how ridiculous it is to look at the world for wisdom. 
And then to bring that into the church. And so verses 26 to 31, he tells the Corinthians, remember, he brings out the spiritual mirror to the Corinthians. He said, look in the mirror. If you think that it's the philosophers and those who could give the best speeches are those who you need to emulate and those whom you need to elevate, look who God saved. Look at you. That's his argument. So that's what he's doing in verses 26 to 31. He's saying, you're not, you're not wise according to the world's standards. You're elevating a standard you can't even live up to. You were like the last one picked on the ball team. Everybody ever been in there? Last one picked. That's a terrible place. He said, no, you don't live up to, even to the world's standards that you elevate. Consider your own calling. Verse 27 and 28. Says God chose you, you were foolish, you were weak, you were low, you were despised. Why? To display His wisdom and power, that's why. That was His argument. You were literally, in the text, nothing's in the world's eyes, but God called you. The very calling of salvation. It says, look in the mirror. You're an illustration of God's wisdom and God's power. He now does this. Same argument. Same flow. He says, I want you to look at yourself in chapters 2, verse 1 to 5. He says, I want you to look at me. So what he's really doing, and, and by the way, you need redundancy in your life. Our, our growth group curriculum is designed with redundancy. And if you go to school, and if you've been in school, first two or three weeks of your school, you're doing what? So, reviewing the same things. Why is that? Because we need it. <laughs> Paul's going to continue to repeat himself because the church in Corinth needs it and so do we. And so in verse 17, he's already said this, what he's going to say again in chapter 2. Verse, chapter, one of, chapter 1, verse 17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of his power. So now he's going to amplify and explain that again in why? Because Paul's preaching. He says, I want you to look at me because my preaching has a content. My preaching not only has a content, but me as the proclaimer has a manner of life, has a manner in which I proclaim. And there is a result. That is so, so God's power may put on display through our faith in Him alone. So first you see the content. Look at chapters 2 now, verses 1 and 2. It says, and I, you see, that's, a, that's connecting it to, to the last verse. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. So you see, he's repeating himself. But what he's done is he's changed. If you're, a, if you're an English person, if you like grammar, you'll notice immediately that Paul has changed to the first person singular. He's getting that, them now to focus on me. I want you to focus on Paul. And I want you to remember something. Look at the text. I want you to remember when I came to you. So Paul's saying, I want you to go back in your minds. I want you to remember Paul when Paul first came to Corinth. Now praise the Lord for Acts. Our, our uh, equipped class on, on Wednesdays is studying Acts right now. Acts 18. We have the record of Paul coming to Corinth. So this is the context that Paul is telling the church now to think back. Acts 18, you may want to mark it. Verse 1 says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. 
If you remember, he found Aquila and Priscilla. They were tent makers along with him, and he stayed with them as he reached out in verse 4 of, of Acts 18, and he reasoned with in the synagogue every Sabbath, tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So this is what he's telling them to remember. Remember when I came to you. Here's where I did not come. Verse 1, he said, I did not come in loftiness of speech. That means superiority, means preeminence. What does that mean, taking it into our vernacular and in our context? It means he didn't come to entertain. He didn't come to impress. That wasn't his focus. It wasn't the content that what he was, had in his mind. In other words, he did not try to bring attention to himself. Why did he come? He says that in verse 2. For I decided to do nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That word there, decided, in verse 2, means to make up his mind. It was an intentional decision on a course of action. He decided when he went into Corinth, there was one thing that would be superior and preeminent. And it was, verse 1, to proclaim the testimony of God. This, is, this word testimony is, is the Greek word for martyr. It simply means to be a witness. That he, his intention, his content, his focus was to testify. About what? About Jesus Christ and him crucified. The witness of God, of his own son. Sending his own son into this world to be the wrath removing substitute for us. That was what he came. That was preeminent. That was the content. But don't misunderstand Paul. What Paul's not saying is, I came in here, I got my one sermon in my, in my Bible. <laughs> I got my one sermon in my Bible. That's the only sermon I'm going to preach. I don't care about the people. I don't care how they receive it. I, I'm just here to preach. I don't I'm not thinking about you. I'm not worried about clarity. I'm just going to say what I need to say. That's not what he's saying. Matter of fact, if you study 1 Corinthians carefully, he carefully crafts everything he says. Matter of fact, what we're talking about, remember, is an argument he's making to try to help with division. He's being persuasive. He's using wisdom. Understand this. This is important. His human eloquence is subservient it serves what is preeminent. He's not saying it's not important. It's important for us to speak where people can understand. What's not important is to put us on the center, on top, and make us preeminent, make our superior, or make the show or the worship service literally just about smoke and mirrors to impress people. He's saying, no, no, I want to be clear, but my clarity is submissive to the message and the work of the Holy Spirit. What Paul is saying is the content of proclamation is important. Galatians 6, 14, he says it clear. Galatians 6, verse 14, he says this, But far be it to me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The core of the content, you see, is the most offensive part. Because to get to the cross, you have to get to man's sin, and then man has been separated from a holy God because of that sin. 
And yet, the core of the content is where the power of God for salvation is. And he says, I'm not going to leave that out. It doesn't matter how people respond. It matters that the content is right. In other words, declaring the gospel is not about me gathering you this morning and giving you an uplifting message of devotion. It makes you feel good about yourself. That's not what I prayed for all week. That's not what we spend hours studying. It's not why we prepare ourselves to bring the gospel to bear in the world in which we live. We're not trying to be uplifting or beautifully put together. We are bearing witness to the Son of God who came on this earth and lived and, and died in our place. That's what we must be clear about. Charles Hodge said it this way. It's on the screen. Paul's aim in going to Corinth was to preach Christ. In Christ, not as a teacher or as an example or as a perfect man or as a new starting point in the development of the race. All this would be mere philosophy. But Christ crucified, that is, dying for our sins. Jesus Christ, the crucified King, informs my content and yours. And then he wants to make the point. I think this is the most important part for me. He says the crucified King informs the manner in which I bring the content. Your manner matters. And he's saying the cross informs it. The manner is spirit-filled humility. In other words, our manner is informed by our model, and our model is the cross. Until we get in, before we get into this verse, let me just read it. He goes now into his manner. He said, and when I was with you, I was with you in weakness, fear, and trembling. Before we say, okay, well, what does he mean by that? Turn with me over to the other letter that we have with us right next to it, 2 Corinthians 13.4. I think this is helpful. We've got to get weakness in context. And if we don't have weakness in context of the cross, we're out of context. 2 Corinthians 13, look at verse 4. For he was crucified in weakness. Now back up, who's he? Somebody talk to me. Who's he? Christ. For Jesus... Christ was crucified in weakness, but lives by what? The power of God. For we also are weak in Him. But in dealing with you, we will live with Him by what? The power of God. There is this mystery. That's why the gospel is sometimes called a mystery. This mystery of the gospel whereby we as weaklings... Bring the power of God to the nations. Is it a mystery? Yes. But it's God's plan. 1 Corinthians 2, 3 then said, he goes back. He says, now, remember, now, remember when I came in. Go back in your minds. When Paul came, comes into Corinth, he comes and he says, I came to you in weakness, fear, and trembling. What does Paul mean? Maybe he's saying, Paul came in the, in the fear of the Lord. Is that what he means? Well, I'm sure Paul did come in the fear of the Lord. That's not what he's saying. Turn back with me to Acts 18. Paul tells us to get a very clear account of what's going on when he gets to Corinth. Turn to Acts 18. Look at verse 9. Acts 18, verse 9. It says, The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, 
Do not be what? Afraid. But go on what? Speaking. And do not be silent. So, let's play that backwards now. If Paul stayed in his fear, which this says he was afraid, that's why Jesus came to him, he would be what? Be silent. More than that, he would probably just move on somewhere else. Look what, he, look what the Lord says. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And so, verse 11, he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Paul came to Corinth afraid. Now, I ask you to be honest with yourself, because I had to be, I had to just stop. As a matter of fact, I think I got up and went in there and talked to Micah. When I was, first time this just hit me, I was like, now tell me, when you're in your mind, when you see Paul walking into Corinth, what do you see? How do you see Paul walking? Right? You hear some kind of, we are the champions music or something in the background, you know? Coming in, I got it locked and loaded, I'm ready, got my armor on. Paul says, no, do you remember? I was afraid. I was weak. That word means weak. Verse 12 to 17, we see Paul being attacked. We see Sosthenes beaten while he's there. He draws attention to his own fearfulness and his own weakness, not to point out some kind of false humility, but to make his point. This is the most important part. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Humanly speaking, here's what he's making his argument for himself. He was the most unlikely man to have such a powerful ministry. That was God's point. That was his point. This is good news for us this morning. Paul decided to be who he was. He was not Greek, so he decided not to try to be Greek. He was not trained in Greek rhetoric, so he tried not to, I'm not going to act like I do. I'm going to be who I am because I have my content right, and I'm going to go in in the midst of my fear, in the midst of my weakness, and I have decided intentionally to proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was his point. He simply determined that God can use him in the midst of his fear and weakness to put his own glory, God's glory, on full display. This is good news. In other words, listen to me today. Your introverted nature is part of your call. Paul came to Corinth, the warts, wrinkles, and all, and he used it all to put God's power of the gospel on full display. This is the most important point to learn to be an effective evangelist. Be who you are. But get your content right. We come in humility. We do not come perfect. He has determined this. God's chosen to use people like the Corinthians and like us and like Paul. Because you see, it's not about the messenger. It's about the message. Do you remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 7? Repeats this again. You remember repetition. He, he's making this point in his, the other letter. Remember, we have this treasure in jars of what? Clay. Why is the treasure of the gospel in jars of clay? 
to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The pain of your life, of your yesterday, is a gift from God in the sense that He has given you to bring the testimony of God in the midst of it and put God's power on full display. That's good news. Verse 4. He says, my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. So what is he saying? He's talking about two of the same things. The way I say it and what I say were neither one was built on plausible words. That means persuasive. What he's saying is the art of persuasion that the, the people who are trained in rhetoric do. Now, I got a good illustration for this. So, uh, some of us have been around for quite a few presidents. Somebody tell me, who's your, what's your favorite speech? Do you remember a speech that a president gave that just you thought was just awesome? Or amazing. Not a good, awesome is a God word. Amazing. Do you remember? Who was he? Somebody tell me. This is not political. This is, this is a sermon illustration. Who was he? Somebody to give a good, really good speeches. Reagan, I thought about that. He's, his little mannerisms he did. Right, right. These good speeches. Maybe we can go back to Kennedy and remember some speeches. Nixon. So, here's his point. I hate to break it to you, but somebody else wrote that speech. I hate to break it to you, but there's a team of people that helps that speech be choreographed like a musical or a play to move you and get your support at that time. That's the purpose. And here's what he's saying. I did not come to do that. I did not come to hide myself, to hide the gospel under, under these under a speechwriter who's trying to get to move you to try to make you make a decision. So if I can just get you to say this, then you're on the hook with Jesus. Saying no. I just preach the gospel. You know, we oftentimes hesitate to engage our person, the person that we wish the Lord would save, because we don't feel like we know enough about what they believe. Brothers, sisters, according to God's word, we must know what we believe. We must know why we believe it. And we must be able to simply communicate it to that person that we're talking to. I had an African-American pastor correct me and another pastor. I was actually watching this pastor, and, and it was a white pastor. And he had a panel of African-American pastors. He was asking them a question, and the, and the pastor, the white pastor was interviewing and said, Hey, listen, you need to help us, speaking of white pastors, because we don't understand your history. We don't understand the spiritual African-American leaders who have really made a gospel impact. And he went on and on. And one of the pastors said, excuse me, and he called his name. He said, you spend 20, 30, 40 hours a week preparing for a sermon. You study the language. You study the content. You study the history. You study it all. And you put it together and bring a message to your people. If you really are passionate about African-American history, you can find it out. So don't expect me to do your hard work for you. Go do it. I thought to myself, ouch. But that was the truth, wasn't it? We can discover whatever we are passionate about. 
We go to colleges and we learn our career fears and we know it. I could ask your passion right now and you would know it. You would know the ball game. You would know the sports leader. You would know the, the medicine. You would know how to fix this. You would know how to fix that. If we are passionate about knowing and communicating the gospel, we can get what we need. God's word has given us the content. Amen? Amen. That's what he's saying. <laughs> Here's what he's saying. He goes, this word. I love this word. It's just strong. This is strong. You can't see it as strong in English. Verse 4. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That's a strong, that but in is a strong Greek contrast. He's contrasting this. Demonstration's a legal word. It means proof. But the evidence... Of the spirit and of power. In other words. My, my persuasive ability to talk around something. I'm not going to do it. My proof. Is that the power of God came and saved you. Love this. This is not original to me. It said the Corinthians faith was proof. That the spirit of God is at work. In power. Listen. Love this. When the gospel is preached in non-powerful ways. That's good news right there. Listen again. The Corinthians' faith was proof that the Spirit of God is at work in power when the gospel is preached in non-powerful ways. That's what Paul's saying. I came to you in a non-powerful way and I simply proclaimed the gospel. And look, the church is born. Why? Because the Spirit of God came and you put your faith in Christ. The content is Christ crucified. The manner is my fear and weakness, but humbly determined to declare it. The proof is the Holy Spirit brings salvation. He's not done. He has a so that here. You see that so that? Verse 5. The results is that our faith rests on God's power. Listen. Both directions. Our faith rests on God's power. We must have faith when we proclaim the gospel to our one. That it's God's power that has to change him. Not you. You can't fix the rake. They must understand that they cannot fix themselves. They must throw themselves on Christ. Our, so that your faith, speaking to the church... Might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul is describing faith as a gift and a work of the Holy Spirit. It's his work. The foundation of true faith is the power of God. Let me say that again. The foundation of true faith is the power of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved. Through faith, and it's not of your own doing, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone can boast. Here's my question this morning Have you not written your one on the board because of where your faith is resting? Your faith is resting on God. Write it on the board, make a plan, make a lunch date, do the work that we need to do, engage our person with the gospel because Romans 10 7 says, but Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Believing comes through our proclaiming and the Holy Spirit does the work. If we put our faith in that, we will proclaim 
This word might rest means, is one Greek word in the text. It means to be. To be. Our faith is in Him. 1 Thessalonians 1. Paul's beginning his letter to the church in Thessalonica. I love verses 4 and 5. It's so absolutely clear. 1 Thessalonians, verse 1. Chapter 1, rather, verse 4. says, For we know, brothers, listen, brothers is generic. It means brothers and sisters. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you. How? How can He write with such confidence to the church that they are loved by God and chosen by Him? Verse 5, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. We know you are loved by God and chosen by Him because the Holy Spirit worked and you have faith in Him. That's how He knows. You see, faith always rests on an object. It always does. And when you engage people who have placed their faith, they have simply placed their faith on another object. And that's what you're going to run into every time you, everybody has faith. It's just that they have placed it on something other than Christ. So this is the work of the counselor, right? <laughs> Trying to help them uncover what they have placed their faith in and how that, that is deficient as an object of their faith. That's not done at a one-time shot. This is a long-term plan of evangelism in the lives of people. But faith must and will rest on an object. I love Zechariah 4, 6. It says, Then he said to me, The word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's not by our strength. It's not by our power. It's, it's by his. So the Corinthians' faith must rest in God's wisdom, in God's power. Christ must be the object, listen, of our faith as we proclaim and their faith as they believe. Good news today. God has given you faith as a gift. You need to exercise that faith and trust Him and call on those to believe that He has put in our life. So let's go back to our illustration. Let's ask the question now, so what? Okay, we've seen this similar to what chapter 1. Now we've seen chapter 2. Now he's saying it again. He's using himself as an illustration. He's saying, look at how God's power and wisdom works. Call to your mind that one person that you would love to see come to faith in Jesus Christ. Put them in your mind and maybe there's a couple. Return to the Reiki illustration. Let's just ask ourselves these questions this morning. Do I feel like I must fix this person who is broken? And if I don't, when I get done and my father gets home, I'm in big trouble. Are we treating souls like something that we can fix? Do I feel like I need to be someone I'm not to reach the one God is calling me to reach? You're not called to be me. You're not called to be Billy Graham or any other person you hold in high esteem. You are called to be yourself and to bring the gospel. 
Do you feel too frail, too weak, too frightened to reach your one for Jesus Christ? So did Paul. And so do we. And so do I. But it is God's power who saves. Not me. Not you. Not Paul. Not Billy Graham. Or anybody else. Will you determine by faith to be yourself and simply proclaim the message of Jesus Christ crucified for their sins? You know, you know why I broke that rake in the first place? I was distracted. I was distracted. I hesitated to use this illustration, but I think we all can relate. I know I can. We're oftentimes ADD Christians, right? I remember Micah preaching one time, and, and he was doing a good job. I was taking notes, and all of a sudden, I got focused on this fact that that board right there is crooked. You notice it's crooked. It, all of a sudden, I'm right, I mean, he's right in the middle of it. I'm with him. And all of a sudden, it was like a squirrel ran across the room, you know. Next thing I know, here I am, my mechanical mind again. I'm, I'm, I'm tapping that out, you know, trying not to bust the board, fix it back. And all of a sudden, you're sitting there going, what are you doing? <laughs> Where are you? You are not in the moment here. You've lost the point. We can do this in life. God has given us a task. It is not optional for you. You will stand before the Lord one day as, as someone who is given the task to make disciples. Only, the only question is, are you being a steward of it? You know, sometimes we just need someone to say, Hey, focus. Look at me. You know, say it to her kids, right? Look at my eyes. I know my task, but my flesh is oftentimes easily distracted. Listen to me. The devil loves this. There are throngs of people who have left the church over secondary reasons and the devil is having a field day because he loves to distract us with secondary causes because the first one is easily neglected. He calls us to bring the gospel to bear in the King's Mountain. This is not optional for us, Battleground Community Church. To this we have been called. And we will stand before the Lord today, whether you leave or not, and give account with what you did, with what you've been entrusted. This, brothers and sisters, is the task at hand. And we must not be distracted by secondary things. That's what's going on in the Corinthian church. They are being distracted about who's the best speaker and people are going to hell. We must center ourselves this morning back on the content of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the great commission that told us what we must do and the great commandment that told us the manner in which we must do it. And we must center ourselves to be about our task. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladness of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul needed that. And so do we. So the question is this morning, how will we respond? Because we are about to. We're about to respond in multiple ways. I just want to make you aware of it. We're about to worship the Lord as we have been. We're going to continue to do that. We're going to sing. Hard to stop Christians from singing. It's really strange when you see a Christian who doesn't like to sing. 
God makes our souls to want to express itself when they swells up. And we, so we get an opportunity to sing. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper as we sing. Then we as a family are going to come together with the first fruits of what He's blessed us with. So the work of the kingdom when we give. And listen, then we're going to have a members meeting. You're sitting there going, that's a response of worship. It absolutely is. Fellowship in the body of Christ is not passive fellowship. It is active fellowship. And today at our members meeting, I want to lay before you an intentional strategy to reach Kings Mountain in word and deed. And I'm asking you as your pastor to stay here and to hear the plans that God is making. This is a big step in the life of our church. Just a minute. We're going to come and we're going to sing about the cross. And here's what I want you to do. As we sing, I want you to come to the tables. I want you to gain, get both elements and go back to your tables, to your seats rather. And then in a minute, I will step up and lead us in the Lord's Supper together. So let us prepare ourselves in prayer now. Lord, we have heard your word and we have been reminded of the content of your gospel. It's so simple, sometimes offensive, beautiful. So God, now we have heard it and thank you, Lord, that you have reminded us today that we are weak and that we are oftentimes fearful. And, and Lord, thank you for the honesty of God's word that says I work with fearful, broken people. So Lord, we thank you right now. As your people, we thank you that you work with fearful, broken people and, and that you save people through the power of the Holy Spirit when fearful, broken people speak your truth. So Lord, we thank you for that. But now, Lord, we want to go back to the content. As your church, we have gathered for thousands of years, Lord, around the table. We remember that your son is the object of our faith. He is the content. He is our reward. One day we will be with you. Him and we will enjoy you forever. Oh God, may we be a people that enjoy you now. Lord, this is how we desire to do it right now, is to stand and worship you and then come to the table to remember the body and the blood of Christ. You be worshipped and magnified now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us and then come to the tables and get both elements.